Blog Talk Radio. Well, bless the Lord, bless the Lord. Welcome tonight. This is Pastor Winfred Burns of Word Worship and Witness Ministries with the Word on Wednesday. I pray tonight that all is well in your life and that you are walking in the blessings of God. We have an a very exciting time tonight. There's some things that we're going to enter into in the Word that I believe will bless you. So as we get ready to pray and and uh, get into the Word and share with you, I pray that you have your Bibles open, that you've got pen and paper at hand, that you are ready and to, to go into the Word and Hear from God. I pray that your hearts are open in such a way and that you're, that you're praying right now because I know that God's people want a word from the Lord. You don't want to hear from me because I'm just as crazy as they come. But the word of God is a lamp unto my pathway and a light unto my feet. And I believe that, that we need to be able to, to see and hear what God is saying to us in these times. So with that said, let's have a word of prayer, and then after we pray, I want to make sure that we invite someone to to uh, accept Jesus as Lord and Savior. So let's pray. Eternal God, our Father, it's in Jesus' name that we come to say thank you. We bless you and we praise you for all that you have done. We thank you tonight for your word, for this medium, this global drive. We thank you for my son who set this up. We thank you for Periscope. We thank you for the ability to communicate in new and different ways, how we bless you and we praise you. Father, tonight as we enter into your word, we don't enter into it lightly. We enter into it in your presence with fear and trembling, reverently knowing, God, that that when you speak, things happen. And so we ask that you would speak to us tonight. We ask, O oh God, that you would get great delight in us being in your presence. We ask that you would get great delight, O oh God, in speaking with us, knowing that it's your face that we're seeking. So with that, God, move by your spirit. We ask that in Jesus' name, amen. To you out there who don't know Jesus and what he has done, the word of the Lord tonight is, your sins are forgiven. No matter what you've done, the word of the Lord to you is, your sins are forgiven. Jesus. God's Son, Jesus, the one that God sent, came and paid the penalty for your sins, and your sins are forgiven. And God did this because He so loves you, and He so and that He wants you to come to Him. And right now He's speaking to your heart, and you know He's speaking to your heart, and He's He's telling you, come, 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 I've forgiven you. And he expects a response from you. And the response he expects from you 
is that you would give your life to him, that you would trust him, that you would trust his word, and that you would come to him, and that you would allow him to to begin to love on you and move you down the path of sanctification. He wants you to turn from what you're doing and turn to him. And how do you do that? You turn around and you, you look and you say, Lord, I believe that you died for my sins. And I ask you to be my Savior. Ask him to come into your heart tonight. Give your life to him. And then when you do that, you can count yourself among the saved. But then you've got to do one more other thing. You need to go find yourself a Bible-believing church, a Christian, a pastor, and you tell them, I believe Jesus died for my sins and I've asked him to be my Savior. And when you do that, what, watch what happens. They're going to take you and they're going to teach you more about this salvation, more about this new life that you now have in Christ. Would you do that? Did you pray that prayer? Hallelujah. Welcome into the family of God. Now go find that person after you finish listening to the Bible study tonight, because I'm sure you're going to enjoy it. Amen? Amen. Now look, I want you to turn immediately to 2 Samuel chapter 5, and we're going to begin. Now last week when we left off, we left off... Um, we're showing you the results of the flesh. We spent a lot of time in Galatians 5, and we spent a lot of time just basically showing you the difference between the appointed king and the anointed king. And we kept begging the question last week, who is your king? Do you have the anointed king, Jesus, sitting on the throne of your life. Is he your Lord, or are you sitting on the throne of your life, or is someone else, some other man or some other woman, or some other idol sitting on the throne and commanding you? And we spent time talking about, so what would be the, 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 the results of someone else sitting on the throne of your life other than Jesus Christ. And we went in Galatians 5, and we went through the works of the flesh, and then we came back and we showed uh, how that related to, to 1 Samuel chapter 4 as well as chapter 3, and then we ended by showing uh, David's actions, David's lawful actions to hang those two guys that had killed Ishbosheth and showed that David did that according to the law, and that the way he did it by hanging them on the tree showed that they were under a divine curse. And now we move forward. And as we move forward tonight, we're going to see the, what happens with our anointed king. So I want us to first uh, understand the title of the lesson. The title of the lesson tonight is, uh, God's anointed king revealed. And all throughout this chapter, that's what we're going to look at. We're going to look at how God reveals David as his anointed king. And, and as you'll see how God's spirit is active in everything that David does. So let's, let's, let's go here. Um, and I'm reading... 1 Samuel 
or Second Samuel, excuse me, chapter 5, and I'm going to start reading at verse 1. The other thing tonight that I want to tell you, even before I start reading, is I'm also going to make reference. I will read out of the NIV, but I'll make references from the King James. And again, the reason that I'm going to do that is because sometimes in the NIV, when they begin to translate words, they translate a concept, they translate a principle, and they translate in such a way that they make things read smooth, they make things read in such a way that we in 2017 can understand them better. But in translating, sometimes they lose some of the meaning. And King James, as well as the English Standard Bible, um, the New American Standard Bible, and a couple of others, do a better job going word for word. And that's what we're after tonight. We're after some of the meanings of things. So you'll see me switch between NIV and King James when I think that King James gives us a better sense of what the writer has actually written. Amen? So let's read at verse 1. It says, All the tribes of Israel came to David at Hebron and said, We are your own flesh and blood. In the past, while Saul was king over us, you were the one who led Israel on their military campaigns. And the Lord said to you, you will shepherd my people Israel, and you will become their ruler. Now, what we're seeing here is God reveal his king because he is fulfilling a word, a prophetic word given by Samuel to David. And, and we've known all along that, that this is God's anointed king, and we've seen as we've walked through 1 Samuel all of the obstacles that David faced with that anointing. And so what I want to do is I want to go back a little bit, and I want to show you how God is now bringing his word to pass. Look at 1 Samuel sixteen thirteen. We looked at it last week, and i I know we did, but we want to look at it again because we want to keep everything connected. First Samuel sixteen thirteen. What does it say? It says, So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the Spirit of the Lord came upon David in power. So remember, David's a teenager. He gets the anointing, the spirit of the Lord comes upon him, and then he serves Saul, he, does, he, he kills Goliath, he does a number of things, and he's on the run for years and years and years. And he, all, he already has that anointing, but the, the, the prophetic word does not come to fulfillment for approximately about, oh, 20 years. Go over to Isaiah 55, 10, and 11, because some of you right now have a prophetic word over your lives. God has said something to you. He has anointed you for something, and it has not been fulfilled. It has not borne fruit yet. You know you have a calling. You know you have anointing, but sometimes we're frustrated in the waiting. Well, the word of the Lord tonight that I want to share with you is in Isaiah 55. Go to, switch over, to, flip over to Isaiah 55. 
And I want you to turn to these. I want you to see them for yourself. It's important that when I, when I call a passage out that you go to that passage because I can read you the word. You can hear it. But when you see it and allow God to speak to you individually as well as us collectively, oh, you begin to see the power of the promise that he's given in your life and you are strengthened. Listen, it's one of those things where it's one thing for me to tell you about it and another thing for you to experience it for yourself. And I've discovered that when I'm reading the Word of God, when I'm meditating on the Word of God, I'm literally experiencing that Word. And that's what you want to do. You want to experience the Word of God. Isaiah 55, verse 10 says, As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish, so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater. So is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. The word of God, the word that you receive from God, the anointing that you receive from God will not be frustrated. It is not a dud. They didn't hand you a gun with a bullet that wouldn't fire off right. God gives you a word, and his word will come to pass. It will produce the fruit in your life that it is to produce. It will not return to God void but will accomplish its purpose in your life, and you can take that to the bank. So, David, so God told David when he was approximately 17, 17, he anointed it and told him that he was going to be king when he was about 17 years old. And guess what? He had been through hell and high water several times, and now it's the, time, it's the point in time where it's, the word is coming to pass. Go back to go back to it now. Uh, I got to turn back to Second Samuel. I need to put my finger in there. That way, I won't have to do all of this flipping. Verse three. Oh no, I'm not done with that. It says, "We are your own flesh and blood." In the past, while Saul was king over us. You were the one who led Israel on their military campaigns, and the Lord said to you, you will shepherd my people, Israel, and you will become their ruler. A couple things you want to see there. First of all, when they say that he is their own flesh, that he was the one that led them, they recognize that David was the military leader, and thirdly, they recognize the word of God where they know that God has told David that he will be king over Israel. Now, I want to show you something. In verse 3, uh, it says, When all the elders of Israel had come to King David at Hebron, the king made a compact with them at Hebron before the Lord, and they anointed David king over Israel. What these three verses combined tell us is that David has met the, the lawful requirements to be king. Now, where'd you get that from? Well, turn over to Deuteronomy chapter 17.
you know, long before David came on the scene, God knew that they were going to ask for a king. Look at 1714. When you enter the land the Lord your God is giving you and have taken possession of it and settled in it, and you say, let us set a king over us like all the nations around us, be sure to watch this now to appoint over you, number one, the king the Lord your God chooses. Go back to verse 3. You're the one, David. You're the one that God has chosen. Secondly, he must be from among your own brothers. Do not place a foreigner over you, one who is not a brother Israelite. What does it say in verse, verse 2? He says, we are your own flesh. He's their brother. Thirdly, it says, he says, do not place a foreigner over you, one who is not an Israelite. The king, moreover, must not acquire great numbers of horses for himself or make the people return to Egypt to get more of them. For the Lord has told you, you are not to go back that way again. He must not take many wives or his heart will be led astray. He must not accumulate large amounts of silver and gold. When he takes the throne of his kingdom, he is to write for himself on a scroll a copy of this law taken from that of the priests who are Levites. It is to be with him, and he is to read it all the days of his life so that he may learn to reveal the Lord his God and follow carefully all the words of this law and these decrees and not consider himself better than his brothers and turn from the law to the right or to the left. Then he and his descendants will reign a long time over his kingdom of Israel. So what are the requirements? He is to be chosen by God. He's to be a fellow Israelite. He can't have too many wives. He must not accumulate much silver or gold. And in the New Testament, what that sounds like is not be greedy for filthy lucre. Remember that passage? A man of the word and under the word. And he must not think that just because he king that he's better than anybody else and the word does not apply to him. He has to be a person who is submitted to the word of God. He has to be a person who understands that he is really not the king. He's just an agent of the king of kings. Amen? So that's the thing that, 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 we re that you really should see here. And what does this remind you of? Mm, I ain't going to say it yet. Let's go to verse 4. David was 30 years old when he became king, and he reigned 40 years. In Hebron, he reigned over Judah seven years and six months. And in Jerusalem, he reigned over all Israel and Judah 33 years. So David doesn't become king until he's 37 years old. And then from there, he reigned, he is, he's reigned over Judah already for seven years. And now he's going to reign over Israel for another 33 years. God reveals his anointed king who has been in the wilderness being made, who has been in the wilderness being tested, who has been in the wilderness learning how to be a king being tested to, uh, because the job of a king is to protect, being tested in 
fighting and driving out the enemy. David has passed the test. Now he has been anointed king. The people see it. God has spoken, and God's word comes to pass. Sometimes when the word doesn't manifest itself immediately in our lives, we sometimes think, maybe I heard that wrong. Maybe that's not for me. Maybe it's not going to come to pass. But I want you to take a look at a passage in Second Peter. I want you to see what, what Peter tells us concerning the word of God. I'll turn to Second Peter chapter 3. And I want to start reading at verse 8. Because I want to encourage somebody tonight who's been waiting for something, a word to come to pass in their life for a long time. And they think that, oh, he didn't forget about me. Or, oh, it's taking so long. I don't even, I wonder if I heard that right. If it's a word from the Lord, keep your trust in what the Lord told you. I don't care how young you are, how old you are, or if your 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 abilities have waned. I, I remember a song called Second Wind where um, I think it's Donald Lawrence writes it. He says he's the god of the second wind. Where Caleb, and he writes about Caleb when Caleb had walked around the desert for, for 80 years and he walks up to, to Joshua and he tells Joshua, uh-uh, man, don't give me that easy stuff. Give me what God promised me. Give me the mountain. That's what God promised me. And I want what God has promised. I believe God and I believe what he says. And I believe it so much that I believe, I don't care how old I am, I can still do it because the same God that's been walking with me in these desert places for 40 years, the same God that I, I boasted about that he was able to bring us into the land, that same God will enable me to take the mountain. Look at verse 8 of 2 Peter chapter 3. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. In the, in the King James Version, it says, God is not slack concerning his promise. We've already seen that, that his word won't come back to him void. And now Peter reminds us, oh, he don't just talk to talk. Mm -mm. When he promised you something, you can bank on it. It's going to happen. Why? Because he said it. Do you realize that this passage reminds us of our Savior? And how long it took for our Savior to get here? Do you realize that our Savior was announced in the garden? Look, now I'm going to switch to King James real quick. Go to, go to um, Genesis chapter 3. I'm just going to read just a quick snippet of it. Because the picture that I'm trying to tell you and trying to see is that God is revealing things in this passage, and his word is coming to fruition. His word is being fulfilled. 
And God gives us a word in Genesis concerning our Savior, our King. He gives it to us in Genesis, and it is, I don't even know how many years later, that he finally shows up. Look look, look at chapter 3, verse 5. Wait, hold on, not five. What is that? It's three fifteen. I'm sorry, I missed the one. It says, "Here's his promise, and I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel." So he promises in the garden that the seed of the woman would bruise the head of the serpent. That's how far back he promised Jesus to us, all the way in the garden. When we first sinned, when we first came under the curse, God was planning from the beginning, oh, no, I'm going to redeem them. I'm going to defeat this thing that has defeated them. The evil that has overcome them, Oh, uh -uh. I'm going to get my creation back. I'm going to restore creation. I get get kind of excited there. Sorry about that, y'all. No, I ain't sorry because I just get excited. I'm cool, calm, and collected most of the time, but you get me over in this book, and then all of a sudden something happens because I, 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 I am amazed at what God has done for us and what he's doing right now. Here I am. Now, go to verse 6. The king and his men marched to Jerusalem to attack, to attack the Jebusites who lived there. The Jebusites said to David, you will not get in here. Even the blind and the lame can ward you off. They thought David could not get in here. Nevertheless, David captured the fortress of Zion, the city of David. On that day, David said, anyone who conquers the Jebusites will have to use the water shaft to reach those lame and blind who are David's enemies. That is why they say, the lame and the blind will not enter the palace. Now, first of all, let's deal with the Jebusites. Who are the Jebusites? The Jebusites are, were originally in the land of Canaan when Israel first came there. Joshua was supposed. Joshua was supposed to, um, or excuse me, Judah was assigned to get rid of the Jebusites. But the word tells us that they were unable to do it. Go to go to Joshua chapter fifteen, verse sixty-three. And these people also were under a curse. Um, because they were designated for destruction. Before Stay at 1563 and then uh, go to Deuteronomy 2017. I need you to see this. I need you to see that, and I'm, I'm being painfully, painfully um, specific tonight, simply because I want us to understand that nothing is happening by accident. This is all God's word being brought to fulfillment. Deuteronomy chapter 20, verse 17. Oh, I'll read 16. 
However, in the cities of the nation the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance, do not leave alive anything that breathes. Completely destroy them, the Hittites, Amorites, Canaanites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites, as the Lord your God has commanded you. I'm going to read verse 18 too. Otherwise, they will teach you to follow all the detestable things they do in worshiping their gods, and you will sin against the Lord your God. Now, now go over to Joshua 15. I don't know how deep I'm, I don't know how far I'm going to get today. 1563. Judah could not dislodge the Jebusites who were living in Jerusalem. To this day, the Jebusites live there with the people of Judah. Now, God had given a command that they were to be destroyed. Judah does not destroy them. The Jebusites now sit in what is, what is Jerusalem and is up on a hill, and they think nobody can get to them, and they tell David, David, and I know you want to get up in here. I know you think you're going to do this, that, and the other does, but you can't get up in here. Matter of fact, we ain't even got to defend ourselves. The blind and the lame, that's all we need because we got this down tight. You can't have this. There are some people that have been saying that to you in your life, but your anointed king, the anointed king is going to show that when you have the power of God, when the king that you serve has the anointing of God, they're going down. Because what does the word say? He says he drove them out. God gave him. When your anointed king has divine revelation, that's right. Your, the God's spirit works in the anointed king by giving him divine insight. The king that you serve, the king that sits on the throne of your life, not the Ishbosheths, but the king that God has anointed has divine insight into the enemy and will allow you to overcome and take what God has for you. The inheritance that God had for Israel is now being possessed by the anointed king, David, because the word says, David then took up residence in the fortress and called it the city of David. He built up the area around it from the supporting terraces inward, and he became more and more powerful because why? Not because he was so smart, not because he was stronger than anybody else, not because he was wise, not because he was a great tactician, not because of his great strategy. What does it say? Because the Lord God Almighty was with him. Look at Isaiah 61, verse 3. Because, see, I want you to know that, I, I want you to see what God is doing through Jesus with us today. Isaiah 61, verse 3. 
verse 1, rather. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. Now, now, this is a prophetic word concerning Jesus. And this word is fulfilled hundreds of years later. And I sure wish I had my timeline in front of you so I can give you a, so I can give you a sense of how many years it took for this to come to fruition. Go to Luke chapter 4. Remember now, he has, he has been anointed by the Spirit of God in baptism. The Spirit of God came upon him in the form of a, on a dove, and we heard from heaven, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Look what it says in 18. The Spirit of, this is Jesus. Well, now, I'm going to 16. He went to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue as was his custom. And he stood up to read. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him, and he began, to, began by saying to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Jesus announces that the prophecy of Isaiah, that the promise of God, began in the garden, was now fulfilled in him. David, David points out the Achilles heel by revelation of, of, of the Jebusites. Now Jesus steps on the scene, and he steps on the scene in our lives, and he says, this is what I'm anointed to do for you. This is what God sent me to do. He said, I'm, I'm preaching the good news. And what is the good news? That unto us a child is given, or unto us a Savior is given. Unto us a child is born. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Prince of Peace. That's the good news, that our Savior has been born. And he proclaims that we no longer have to be slaves for sin because of his work at the cross. He's going to give us freedom. We were set free. We are no, he releases the prisoners. He, 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 he who is light 
comes into our dark places and the blind now see. The oppressed are released. This is the year of our jubilee. And it's all fulfilled in Jesus. God gives his servant, you see, the revelation now so far, what have we seen? We've seen the revelation through anointing. We've seen the revelation through uh, God, God's divine re- revelation in his servant. We've seen revelation through fulfillment. Now what, we want to, what we'll see is the favor of God, the favor of God. In the life of David. So go to um, go to verse nine. I'll read nine and catch ourselves up. David then took up residence in the fortress and called it the city of David. He built up the area around it from the supporting terraces inward, and he became more and more powerful because the Lord God Almighty was with him. Now Hiram, king of Tyre, sent messages to David, along with cedar logs and carpenters and stonemasons. And they built a palace for David. And David knew that the Lord had established him as king over Israel and exalted his kingdom for the sake of the people of Israel. So now you see David being exalted by God. David's not exalting himself. God is exalting David by having Another king come and voluntarily say, look, we can build your house. That's the favor of God on the life of his anointed. God's anointed has favor with him. Luke 2.52, and Jesus grew in wisdom and knowledge and in favor with God. And man. That's Luke two that's Luke two fifty two. I remember having to memorize that many years ago. Now David is being established. The anointed is be, the anointed one is being established. Now we get a chance to see well, I didn't want to well, I might as well. After he left Hebron, verse thirteen. David took more concubines and wives in Jerusalem, and more sons and daughters were born to him. These are the names of the children born to him there. Shamu, Shobab, Nathan, Solomon, Ehar, Elishu, Nepeg, Japia, Elishama, Eliada, and Eliphet. Why didn't I want to go through that? Because there's some politics in there, just like there's politics in David moving from Hebron to Jerusalem. There are political alliances being made all along. And one of the political moves that David makes in locating the, 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 his city in Jerusalem is Hebron is far south in Israel. And the northern tribes who have now anointed him would have been, as they say, jealous simply because everything would center around Judah. But when he moves north into 
the, the territory that borders Judah into an area that is basically Benjamin, now all of a sudden, and remember, Saul was from Benjamin. And then he's married into different families for, for the sake of politics to bring peace. And so this was a political move. It was politically expedient, but prophetically profound. Because, and I, I, I'll, I'll get into it more next week, but they could never set up the ark and worship anywhere because in the Pentateuch, and I can't put, I'll tell you where it's at in a minute after I think about it, but God has said, has said in the past, I will show you where I want my worship. I'll show you the place where I want you to sacrifice. Now, he had been in a tent in the wilderness, and then uh, we saw him at Shiloh. We saw him leave Shiloh. And so there was no permanent place because God had not revealed the permanent place. We'll get more of that next week probably. Yeah, we'll get more of that in Chapter 6. I don't want to uh, do Chapter 6 when I'm struggling to get through Chapter 5. Go to, uh, go to 17. Now, in this segment, what you are going to see is the power of God in the life of David, that God is going to reveal himself in David, that David is his king, by allowing David to perform the primary function of a king. What made them ask for a king? They asked for a king because they said, we want somebody to lead us in and out of battle like the other nations. Watch what David does. Verse 17. When the Philistines heard that David had been anointed king over Israel, they went up in full force to search for him. But David heard about it and went down to the stronghold. Now the Philistines had come and spread out in the valley of Rephraim. So David inquired of the Lord, Shall I go and attack the Philistines? Will you hand them over to me? The Lord answered him, Go. For I will surely hand the Philistines over to you. Stop for a minute. Watch. The Valley of Rephraim is basically the Valley of the Giants. That's what the Rephraim were. They were giants. And you see them back in Genesis. And you see uh, um, uh, uh, there were Rephraims and Anakims, I think is the name of it. I might be saying it wrong because Goliath was one of those. And those are giants. And so, watch this, because I'm going to get. I'm going to show you something. They come into a place of the giants. These are the same Philistines that had defeated Saul and was overrunning the land. And David now, who is the king, is challenged by them. And it says he went down into the stronghold. And what that, is, what that means is he didn't stay in Jerusalem because they were out in the valley. That's where the enemy was. Now, David could have holed up in Jerusalem and said the same thing because he's improved Jerusalem. He could have said the same thing that the Jebusites said, oh, they can't get me here. But David's job 
as king was to go forward and lead the people into battle. And so David, unlike Saul, stops before the Lord and says, hey, first of all, he goes down in the stronghold. What stronghold? The stronghold is the case of Abdullah. He goes into a place where he's been before because he knows how to maneuver in a cave. Some of the places that you've been in the past, some of the things that you are doing right now, some of the obstacles that you face, you've already been prepared for them because you were down in the cave before. Let me get political right now. I ain't worried about no Trump. We're not worried about these political services. We faced this mess before. This is easy. Go ask your mama. Go ask your granddaddy. They will tell you about Jim Crow. They will tell you about grits and grease. They will tell you about chitlins. They will tell you, hey, we know how to make it. So this don't bother us. That's just politics. And on top of all of that, we don't, we don't, even, we don't even have to go back there anymore because we got to go we have an anointed king. And so David goes down and he gets in position. And I'm not talking about just in a position to fight. He gets in the right position to lead. And the first thing that he does is he goes before the Lord and says, okay, how are we going to fight this? Shall I go up? And will you give them into my hands? Do you ever see Saul doing that? Do you ever see the fleshly king bowing down and saying, Lord, this is your fight. You know that, don't you? Now tell me, how you want me to, what you want me to do in the fight. Though the anointed king knows how to bow. The anointed king knows how to work with God. The anointed king knows how to work with God for God by getting on the same page as God. Let me stop for a second. Turn to John, chapter 5. Watch your anointed king right quick. Watch the anointed king. John, chapter 5. I'm going to start reading at verse 16. So, because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jews persecuted him. Jesus said to them, my father is always at work to do this to this very day, and I too am working. For this reason, the Jews tried all the harder to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Jesus gave them this answer. I tell you the truth. The son can do nothing by himself. He can only do he can do only what he sees his father doing. Because whatever the father does, the son also does. For the father loves the son and shows him all that he does. Yes, to your amazement, he will show him even greater things than these. Now turn over to John 8.55. I'm not, I'm, I, I, I'll read the whole thing if, if you let me, but I don't have time tonight. 8.55. I got to go to 54. Jesus replies, if I glorify myself, my glory means nothing. 
My Father, whom you claim as your God, is the one who glorifies me. Though you do not know him, I know him. If I said I did not, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him and keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. You see, what we're trying to show you is that Jesus works in concert with the Father, and the only thing he does is what the Father shows him to do. The anoint, that's the actions of an anointed king. He is in concert with the power. He is in concert and submits himself to the word of God and does what God tells him to do. And David, unlike Saul, will go to the Father, and he will submit himself to the Father, and he will say, what do you want me to do? And what happens? The Lord answered him, and I'm at 19B right now. The Lord answered him, go, for I will surely hand the Philistines over to you. So David went to Baal-perazim, and there he defeated them. He said, as waters break out, the Lord has broken out against my enemies before me. So that place was called Baal-perazim. The Philistines abandoned their idols there, and David and his men carried them off. What David is able to do, what the anointed king is able to do, is he is able to walk into the valley of the giants, and not only does he defeat the Philistines, but also he, they run off and leave their idols behind. They run off and leave that which they worship behind. Jesus comes, and First uh, John tells us that Jesus came, our anointed king came, to bring deliverance. But First John makes it even more pointed. First John tells us that Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. So how, does he, how, do we, how do we see that? Well, go into the Gospels. Blindness, and blind folk got healed. Hunger, and hungry folk got fed. People that had withered hands, the woman with the issue of blood, all of these things are caused by what the devil was able to do. Jesus comes in, and what does it say? He began to rebuke demons and call them out. He called, up the de he called out the dead with Lazarus. Jesus comes and literally goes through the land being revealed as the anointed of God who came to deliver the people of God by signs and wonders. God reveals David by his ability, the, the, the empowerment of the Spirit to deliver Jerusalem, and now he defeats the Philistines. Go further. Once more, the Philistines came up and spread out in the valley of Rephraim. So David inquired of the Lord, and he answered, Do not go straight up, but circle around behind them, and attack them in front of the balsam trees. 
As soon as you hear the sounds of marching in the tops of the balsam trees, move quickly because that will mean the Lord has gone out in front of you to strike the Philistine army. So David did as the Lord commanded him, and he struck down the Philistines all the way from Gibeon to Giza. Look, look at what God does. God, in his infinite wisdom, begins to show the people the power that resides by his spirit in David. God reveals the anointed king and points us to the anointed king that is that came for us. God revealed the anointed king Jesus by signs and wonders, by power over the enemy, by showing us that Jesus is the Christ, the promised one of God, who would come to deliver us from the power of the enemy. He destroys the works of the, David destroys the works of the Philistines. He destroys their gods, their idols. And now we see that Jesus destroys that which has captured us and he delivers us and frees us. So what does that make you do tonight? Where are you sitting in this in this time of your life? Who has sat on the throne of your life? Who has been revealed to you as God's anointed king? I point you to Jesus. The word points to Jesus from Genesis all the way to Revelations. I could flip over to Revelations, I believe it's chapter 19, and show you that this king will return for his church, for his people. But that's not, my, that's not what I'm supposed to do tonight. What I'm supposed to do tonight is proclaim to you that Jesus, is the anointed king. And I'm supposed to, 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 to remind you to let him sit on the throne of your life, that this is the king that delivers us from the power of the enemy. And notice I didn't say de just deliver. I said delivers, delivers. If we put our faith in him, he will deliver us because he has delivered us. We don't have to worry about the attacks of the enemy. Our job is to put on the whole armor of God, knowing what we wrestle with, but not just knowing what we wrestle with, but knowing that greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world knowing that Jesus told us to be of good cheer because he has overcome them all. He overcame death. He overcame hell. He overcame the grace. And he has risen and is now seated at the right hand of the Father. They're interceding for you. He didn't just sit there and intercede, but he gave us the Holy Spirit to empower us to perform the will of God in our lives. Tonight I implore you, 
Let Jesus be your king. Look to Jesus even as you go through life today. Look to him, the author and the finisher of our faith, because he is the anointed king that has been revealed. Well, let's take, have a word of prayer as we run out of time tonight. Let's pray. God, we thank you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your word that reminds us of your promise and your plan. But not only of your promise and your plan, the fulfilling of your promise. God, you showed the Israelites of old fulfillment through David. and Now you show us fulfillment through your son, Jesus Christ. And God, because we know that your word is true, no matter where we are, no matter what we're going through, we know that we can trust you for deliverance. We know, God, that there is no temptation that has taken us, but such as is common to man. And with that temptation, you'll provide a way of escape. We know, God, that there's no trial that you won't bring us through. We know, O oh God, that you are more than a conqueror for us. We know, O oh God, that you are coming back for us to finish what has been started, to bring absolute fulfillment. And so even tonight we say, come, Lord Jesus, come quickly. For we hold on by faith, even by faith and not by sight. Because we want to please you, O oh God. We know that without faith it's impossible to please you. And that you are a rewarder of those who diligently seek you. So we seek hard after you, O oh King. We bless you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, that's it for tonight. And we, are, we pray that you have had a wonderful time. And that God has spoken to you in such a way that your your life has been enriched and that you are being fulfilled even right now. We bless you in Jesus' name. Now unto him who is able to keep you from falling and prevent you, present you faultless before the presence of his coming, be glory and majesty and honor. In Jesus' name, amen. Be blessed and I'll see you guys next week. Oh, mm-hmm.